listening to episode 166 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season one of TNT's The Librarians. But more importantly, we've reached the end, it looks like. Yeah. Back to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, wait a second. We still have two more episodes to go. <laughs> and season two, uh, such as the, it the, is. The, and, uh, uh, yeah. end, the end of summer, as it were. Oh, my God. So, down, we have to go to work like everybody else in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, although you know me, I'll... I'll take one day off next week. The I won't be making it to the uh, the workshop. Day. You know, you just to mess with people, you should go one time. You know, just I I did. I think I oh, went yeah, last that's year, right, you the did. year before. Yeah, but uh, of course, I think we sat in the back and played on our laptops. Yeah, well, yeah. Got to do what you got to do. Exactly. All right. Well, tonight we're here to discuss season one, episode six of the Librarians, titled "The Librarians in the City of Light." But before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you: we'd love to hear from you. Email sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can also record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment or send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And then of course, as always remind you that we're going to cover HBO's take on Michael Crichton's Westworld when it begins in October. It looks boss. So, um, we're recording a day later this week than usual. Oh. I wasn't able to record yesterday on Tuesday. Yeah, did you get the new ride? I did. And now nice. see, now I don't know which side. Should I put the Ferrari on the left <laughs> and the Lambo on the right? Yeah. You know, I, these, that, these, are, these are tough calls, man. You really got to think it through. I'm still trying to decide. You know, I was thinking like, okay, uh, on the one hand, I could go alphabetical, Ferrari on the left. Sure. Lamborghini on the right. But- the- I got a sweet deal, so I'm really pleased. Nice. I still think you should have gotten the uh, Dodge Challenger, but, you know. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny because um, I was talking to my brother. His they, his work sent them home yesterday because their internet was down, and uh, we got to talking about, uh, you know, buying that, that kind of dream car now that we're older and, you know, can afford it a little bit. You don't want to wait till you're 70 to buy it. Sure. And we uh, we basically were raised a Mustang family. Our our mm. mom was into Mustangs. Yeah, and uh, so that's what he wants. Although he wants a Shelby Mustang, I, I'm not so much a Mustang guy anymore. Actually, I kind of like the the current crop of Camaros. Actually, the new Camaros are pretty boss. I have to admit. Yeah, you know, you, I saw one the other day. Black, black wheels. It really looked good. Yeah, but to to be honest, and I'm sure the you guys out there know I was sort of joking about the Ferrari and the Lamborghini. <laughs> we we did pick up a Subaru Crosstrek, which it's is uh, the, really the Ferrari of the uh, you know. Well, no, actually, the, uh, the, the, the sport the, utility. Well, well, okay, maybe, uh, but but we did own for any of the motorheads out there. Uh, we did own a, a Subaru WRX, which is kind of a, a sports car. It's really light, really fast, and and my wife. That was her car. She would have gotten another one, but they stopped making it in the five-door. And she had to have a five-door. Had to have manual, which kind of narrows your color choices. But at the end of the day, nice, got it done. So Cool. It's always exciting to get a new car, you know? Well, and you know, the thing about it is you're, you're old enough to remember buying cars when you did not have access to all the information we have now. Now you go into the dealer and you pretty much know what you should be paying. 
it's just so much is online. Just go find the cheapest. You know, it's not the haggling that used to occur. Though I'm sure there's probably some quality hagglers out there that still can get knocked down even further. Well, well, there is, and you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, the last couple times I did it, I just did it on uh, via email, and 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 I, you know, and then of course they call you, and I said, look, dude, you, you can tell by my zip code, I've got five Subaru dealers within a half an hour of me. <laughs> you got one bullet, yeah. Shoot carefully, right? Nice. And then what the other thing I, I realize is as I'm looking at their online inventories, you know, the the one car we ended up getting, it's like, well, this dealer has one, this dealer has one, and this dealer had well, what I learned was it was all the same car. Oh, right. And the one guy that he didn't aim carefully and he calls me, well, uh, you know that uh, I know you got a lower price at dealer A, but, you know, the car is actually here if you want to come over. I'm like, nah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd rather pay less for it. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's get to the librarians. Yeah, let's. Episode 109, the librarians. Actually, before, I, before we do, I just okay. want to give, uh, you know, last week I had mentioned how, um, you know, I had gotten addicted to leverage and that has just gotten worse in the last week and everything. Or or better, I guess. But uh, that, that show is just awesome. That's great. But- the reason I want to bring this up is because I know you'd appreciate this. Much as in Supernatural, whenever they give aliases, because they're always running jobs, and a lot of times their aliases have are like names of characters from sci-fi. Uh, so the one time they're going up an escalator and they're reviewing what their fake passports are, and um, so Timothy Hutton looks through it. And he says, "All right, the names of the fake passports are Sylvester McCoy." Um, Tom Baker. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, oh, uh, oh, I forgot the last guy. Oh, but it's like, you know, th- the names of the three of the doctors and everything. So. Nice. And, and not necessarily the current ones that, that right. no, no, they're all everybody classic. knows. Yeah, they're all the classic uh, ones. It was, oh, the Peter, Peter Davidson. Yeah, that was oh, the there other you one. go. So, yeah, it's just so funny. It's like, all right, what are, what are you doing? So, uh, Peter Davidson, Sylvester McCoy, Tom Baker. And then actually, in another episode, I think it was another episode, not that one, you know, he, Tom Baker was his alias, right? Okay. It was really cool. Um, and I, I know you know this. Peter Davison, what was he, like the sixth doctor, seventh doctor? I believe he was number six. Okay. And his son-in-law is? Uh, David Tennant. David right? Tennant. Yeah. Ten. All right. Uh, we did get one email in terms of listener feedback, which was interesting to say the least. So, uh, dear Mike and Dave and Wayne... I enjoy your podcasts a lot. Now, if you don't know out there, Mike is a coworker of ours. Uh, I did the Continuum podcast with him. I podcast with him now. But the three of us cover Childhood's End for Golden Spiral Media. You can The links are on our website as well. So I guess that's how he grouped us. But then he goes on to say, I just finished watching Firefly and just started watching Dark Angel because you guys were referring to it. I'm also going to start with season four of Lost Girl soon, but I'm not allowed to start watching until I listen to all of your and Drinks at the Doll season three to four hiatus podcasts first. I'm also watching Continuum season two with my wife, and Mike was so nice to send your seasons two through four podcasts via Google Drive because you lost the Continuum podcast feed. Thanks again, Mike. Well, we didn't lose it. Mike just stopped paying for it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, so the, those are not available. Although, again, if anybody is interested, I'm sure we can get them to you, and I'll have to talk about talk to Mike about getting them posted somewhere. Then he goes on to you say, "Always my, find them the black market too." Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Now, my absolute favorite TV show is Orphan Black, so I was nicely surprised when I discovered that you were doing the Clone Wars podcast. Could you please, please also do seasons three and four? perhaps even before season five starts in April of 2017. Now that's, that was Mike and I, and we just did the one season basically because we had nothing else to do for like two months. Yeah. Uh, I don't think seasons three and four are in the cards. So, and, and to be honest, you watch orphan black, right? Yeah, but I haven't seen the most recent season yet. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm I'm losing interest. Uh, it, it, the show's gone down a path that that I just it just a path that really bothers me. I'm not going to go into detail, so I, I don't know if I'm coming back for season five. To be quite honest, hmm. I I always love your comments and insights, and since I know you already did season two, you might want to consider doing season three and four as well. I certainly love it. All the best from the Netherlands. Greetings, Fred. So, Fred. Appreciate you taking the time to check in with us. Um, hopefully, yeah. you'll join Wayne and I for Westworld. Absolutely. And uh, let me say, congratulations to your men's field hockey team. There. Did, did you watch much? Of, well. Did you watch much of the field hockey? I love it. Yeah, I, I catch it every now and then. You know, I pro- but uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's at that level. It's it's pretty incredible. Well, plus the field, it's sort of like watching what's the football team out west that plays on the blue field? Yeah, uh, uh, Boise State. Right? Yeah, Boise State. It's sort of like that, but wow. Anyway, all right. Back to the librarians. Oh, they, they lost. They lost to Belgium, but they, they had a good run before that. So. All right, episode one hundred and nine: The Librarians in the City of Light, written by John Rogers and Jeremy Bernstein. Directed by Tanya McKiernan, who has directed virtually every TNT show in existence, including Leverage, three episodes of Grimm, which is not a TNT show, seven episodes of Warehouse 13, and this one aired as the ninth episode on January 18th, 2015, and of course, it was intended to be the sixth episode. All right, so now guest star, uh, Haley Webb, who played Mabel, uh, again, she is one of those actresses looked pretty familiar yeah, yeah, yeah. to me I meant to look her up because yeah i kept seeing her i'm like man I, she looks familiar so i don't know because her, her big recurring role was as jennifer blake on teen wolf which is not a show i watch and i can't imagine i'd like it but there's so many people out there that just love that show and, and people whose opinions i respect so for what that's worth yeah i i meant to look up because i know i've seen her all right. Well, why don't we do a, a, a an initial thoughts, and uh, I'll I'll go first, and then you can hit me up with one of yours. And for me, I'm going B plus on this one. I liked it a lot. It was too damn sciency for me, which is ironic coming off my little mini review uh, last week of that movie I watched. I you know I I would have to agree with you there that. It seems like whenever the name Nikola Tesla comes up, there's a lot of science explaining going on to, that follows it. That, uh, yeah. and, and I get, you know, if one of the things that John Rogers is trying to do with the librarians is, is A, appeal to 
virtually every age group. As we've said, it's a family-friendly show. It does not insult the intelligence of adults, yet kids can get into it as well. B, if he's trying to use it as an education vehicle, well, okay, great props to him. But yeah, it was just too much for me. <laughs> but it's not like actual science. It still is science fiction, right? Like, yeah. Well, it's again, I don't know. Maybe if I had more time or more interest, I would have researched some of the things that Cassandra was saying. So you think like people trapped in time and space? Like well, that, not like, that, not that okay. part. All right. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Well, it was just like, um, oh, what's that? The Christian Bale movie with the David Bowie plays Nikola Tesla, The Prestige, right? So it sounds like, you know, like good and like that makes sense. But then you're like, oh wait, no, that that can't actually happen, right? But uh, but yeah, so all, all that science stuff, like, well, the thing is, I think it. Yeah, well, it's like in Doctor Who. Like Doctor Who does that sometimes. It gets too wrapped up in like the explanation of why things are happening, and instead of the you know that kind of falls away from the character development. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't character development because like Stone's story in this one is you know very compelling, and we we get to see a lot more of Jacob in this episode. But uh, but I think a lot of it's just a lot is plot centric kind of here. I well, think we well, both kind of pr- like it more when it's more like you know character centric. Exactly, and, and and I would agree with what you said about Stone's character. Uh, I would argue that we see a lot of Ezekiel Jones as well as Cassandra Killian, but it's interesting in that it was really an Eve light episode, right? And really just focused on the core team of three because Jenkins obviously was in it, but a lot of his presence was simply on the sideline arms folded kind of looking condescendingly (laughs) at what was going on yes but the episode did investigate science not magic which opens up so many possibilities and i'm thinking well why not that's a great thing sure who says we have to only investigate magic i mean of, of course that does seem to be uh, what they have been tasked to do primarily is to keep the world's magic in check. But yeah, you know, now that you say that, I realize that. Oh, yeah, you're right. There, there was, this wasn't magic. It was it was all science. You, you know, they go there thinking they're investigating magic, right? That's like that's the be- the beginning of it all. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, why not? Yeah, right, and it's also interesting that nobody comments on that. Should yeah. we be investigating this? Of course, Ezekiel's all wrapped up in in his belief in UFOs, which was pretty cool. <laughs> I also love how they handled Mabel's character because we assume she's going to be one of the aliens. Well, of course, they're not; they don't turn out to be aliens. And then when that doesn't seem to be the case, she doesn't fall for their lame explanations of what's going on. And right. in in a way, she's the town's librarian herself. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they clearly make that uh, connection between, you know, as her as the archivist slash, you know, librarian, then caretaker, really, for the whole thing. So, yeah, she's right. she's kind of like Eve and Jacob and Cassie and Ezekiel all kind of wrapped up in one. 
Right. But then you already mentioned the connection with Stone, and, and I really love how they parallel the fact that neither of them have traveled. Stone, of course, is now getting out and about a little more than than the past, but but obviously that's been his MO. And, you know, we learn a little bit tonight as to why that has been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, you see these two characters uh, really connect with one another because they have so much in common, because they stayed back out of a sense of responsibility and how they both kind of long to see the world, see other things. Uh, we keep waiting for the hammer to drop. You know, Stone, she's using you. Don't fall for her feminine charms. But that's not how it turned out at all, which sure. I, I really thought was a, a great way to handle it. I certainly was caught off guard, though, when Ezekiel seems much more intent on doing the morally and ethically right things. Yeah. I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. Well, there's the there's layers to these characters, right? Yeah. Now, speaking of layers to the characters, now on her own, we see Cassandra handle several life and death situations without Stone's assistance. But now she's experienced what every leader faces at one time or another, which is I've got a choice and no good options. Right. All of the characters, I mean, that's the one thing about this episode is all the characters are dealing with like serious moral quandaries here, you know, where they, you know, and, and you know, Jacob even says a number of times, I, I said I was going to do what's right. And then ultimately it comes down to, well, what is right when both your decisions, you, you can't win. You know, there, there's no way out. There's a downside no matter what you do. So what is the right thing to do then? Right. And, and it's interesting that, that the first time he says that to Mabel, you get the sense that he's saying that knowing full well he's not going to do what she wants him to do, even though he doesn't really have any facts at hand at this point. Well, I think he's kind of saying, I'm, I'm open to helping you out so long as, yeah, but I'm not going to compromise my own morality uh, just because you're cute, you know? So I think he's, he's saying that, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll help you, but you know, only if it's if it's the right thing to do. I'm not just going to help you fly. I'm not going to write you that blank check. All right. Well, God, I'm thinking like, all right, B plus. Do I want to go A minus? Well, we'll see. We, <laughs> we, we, you know, we don't have to. You should, you, should, you should always wait till the end before you throw your grade out there. You know? Well, like, but I, I like throwing my grade out there because we've said many times on these podcasts that by the end of the discussion, we see the episode in a different light. So sure. Yeah, knowing that's where I started. All right, right. Uh, opening scenes are always great on the librarians. We've got this UFO nut who turns out to be an independent journalist, Victor Finch, tracking electrical anomalies. He finally sees with his goggles, he's, I guess, invented, what appear to be human figures. He runs screaming into town, thinking he's witnessed a close encounter of the third kind. And then as he tries to drive away, a waitress and two other guys zap his truck, disable him. And we learn that, okay, they're the anomalies from which he's running. Yeah, you got like creepy, like the, a number of creep factors occurring here. And, um, and we've seen before that the librarians is not afraid to kind of go to the realm of 
horror uh, as far as you know the style of of filming and everything. But um, you know, like the the yellow eyes, and then people just opening their mouths and kind of as their eyes go yellow. And I don't know why opening mouths are so creepy, but it's just creepy. Wow, you should watch Outcast. All right, so turns out. Jones turns out to be a UFO geek, which Cassandra finds fascinating, despite Jenkins implying that there are no UFOs. And well, it's not implying, he says it straight out. Right. And, and then that whole idea, I forget even who says it, but wait a minute. Okay. So we believe in, you know, fairies and yeah. know, flying oh, swords. Yeah. But- Eve goes, uh, Minotaurs, haunted houses, Santa Claus. Yes. But UFOs. Don't be silly. Oh, but then, you know, that, that doesn't deter Jones. And, and I forget, again, somebody implies that his fascination with UFOs would be in part to see how he could profit from it. Oh, I'll absolutely sell off the human race to our new overlords. (laughs) They know best. They know what's best for us. (laughs) All right. So they set out for the town where the disappearance occurred. And Stone, of course, immediately notices that the style of homes doesn't coincide with the town's founding in 1953. And here we get a little bit of education. I, I didn't write any of it down. I forget it, but <laughs> I'm assuming it's accurate. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the colonials, right? I mean, like they didn't stop making colonial houses in the 19th century, you know? Like, well, true. But, but uh, would you build every house? That well, way. you know, if you were a builder and you really, really like that style, you might. Yeah. But so, yeah. Assuming you could find buyers for all of it, but anyway. Sure. All right. So, well, you know, you go to like a neighborhood and they're, all the houses are like in the Tudor style and everything. They weren't built back in the Renaissance. Now, now we talk about the pairings and we open with Stone and Cassandra working together. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm starting to feel that. All right, let's not overuse this pairing. I, I understand that we've got three librarians, one guardian, and Jenkins, and then you know occasionally Flynn Carson. So we don't have a huge cast to work with. There are only so many combinations, but it, it's not something that I want to see overused. But the way things transpire, it, it really was a good decision. They're working together. They meet the town's archivist, who's working on a gaslight and the sparks fly pun intended yeah nice <laughs> between uh, mabel and stone but i found it interesting that when he mentioned that they're librarians which you know they they've certainly done before she seemed to pause almost as mm-hmm. if she knows about the librarians but Given what we learned by the end of the episode, that doesn't seem likely. No. Yeah, you're right. I did catch that too, that little pause. But yeah, it doesn't seem like she doesn't reveal at any time during the episode that she's had experience with librarian before. So, Right. So, you know, unless a previous librarian had detected these electrical anomalies and come to investigate, which I'm sure. guessing was not the case or Jenkins would have known about it. True. So, so, yeah. All right. Well, we, her family founded the town, and Stone wants to research the town history. Cassandra finds Stones and Mabel speaking French somewhat nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, 
Is it because she's jealous in a romantic way? I don't think so. No, I, think I, don't, she, I don't think so either. But I do think there's a little bit of jealousy that, hey, he's my friend. Yeah. And I think also a little bit of, you know, Cassie is very goal-oriented, task-oriented, right? We've got something we need to do. Stop messing around and flirting and let's get on task here and, and do what needs to be done. That's right. Stone, you're slowing us down. Yeah, exactly. Now, see, the thing that I like when they pair up, obviously, I mean, I, I like when they pair up Cassie and Jacob because, you know, they really complement each other well. But here's the segue. What that does is it sets up my favorite combination, which is Ezekiel and Eve. Right. It's like, oh, I got to be with the teacher? That's <laughs> not fair. Right. But it's always great, like when when those two get paired up, because again, they are so such polar opposites that when they work together, it's fantastic. And like the hand signals, that was that was. Great. Oh yeah, <laughs> which, which you wonder whether he even knows what he's signaling. Well, yeah, you know, it's pretty like obviously he's like, okay, you go, I am getting out of here, and then right. she's like, so if you get out of here, then I'll slit your throat. <laughs> so. All right. Well, they end up in the area where Victor Finch disappeared. That's when Jones notices the gas lamp post in the middle of the woods. Victor comes running out of the woods and Eve knocks him into the lamp post, which starts sparking. And then the two of them disappear, leaving Jones behind. And at this point, we still assume it's magic. You know, why would we not at this point? Right. All right. So back at the annex, they get chastised for losing their guardian, which apparently doesn't happen very often. Although, yeah, well, librarians, yeah, as as I've said before, those they, you know, they get killed off at a pretty amazing clip. But uh, you know, guardians not supposed to lose guardians. Well, I find it hard to believe that Flynn Carson hasn't lost a guardian or two on more than one occasion. He he seems to be oblivious to everything right. else that's going on other than his task at hand. But Jones still thinks it's aliens, and given the evidence and what he's seen, I don't think it's an unreasonable assumption at this point. It's the library. Hey, like we said, we, you know, we, 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 yeah. we accept all those other possibilities. UFOs do not exist, Jenkins tells Jones, says the guy with the teleporting door. <laughs> <laughs> but then ironically... Magic is not an exact science. If it were, it would be science. It'd be science, yeah. And that's exactly what we end up dealing with here. Sure. So, yeah, we had said that they, you know, they don't really address how it's not magic, but then you're, you're right in that line. They, they actually did um, address that they're working with science and not magic. Now, on the one hand, I don't know, again, maybe it's just me. I sensed a little bit of glee on Jenkins' part that they lost Eve. And I'm wondering, does he feel like somehow he can use that to his advantage to get rid of them so he can return to his solitary life? We understand. I, I, he does seem to like them. He's got a certain fondness for them. But on the other hand, given the choice, would he want to simply return to what he was doing before he was saddled with the responsibility of watching over them? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but I think it's you know, it could possibly be just kind of like, you know, his low expectations of them being met, you know, like, oh, only you guys could lose a guardian, you know, like, 
you get like he sees them still kind of as a bunch of screw ups that they don't really deserve to be there. And yes, they're definitely kind of infringing on you know his peace of mind or his the lifestyle he was accustomed to beforehand. But uh, yeah, when they you know lose a guard, he's just like. <laughs> That's just so you guys, you know? Yeah. Now, they talk to Finch, who thinks he's only been gone a day, so that they insert that whole lost time trope, which, again, makes us think that, all right, maybe aliens are involved. The whole alien abduction, losing time. Body snatchers. Certainly seen that. Well, we don't know about the body snatchers yet. Right. At this point. So the UFO and aliens still in play at this point. They look at the iPad at the footage of where he was taken from or where he rather disappeared. And then using the goggles that now have an aura filter on them, they can see the energy distortions, which sends Stone back to the town to talk to Mabel to try to get some truth. And that's where we find out the truth about her, at least on the one level, that she's never been outside of the town and she regales him with her dreams of exotic locales. Guess that didn't make the attraction any stronger. Yeah, no, not at <laughs> But also, it's almost like, oh, she's so doomed. You know, like the main character, you know, expresses heartfelt desires like that. You almost expect that they're going to get killed off by the end of the episode. Right. And, you know, he mentions the gas lamps in Paris, I guess, turn of the century. And we're wondering, okay, is that the explanation that she's trying to recreate that? Obviously the two of them have a similar small town sensibility. Um, I also noticed that stone's Texas twang seems a lot more evident in this episode. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. And again, I don't notice. I was, I was wondering if, if that's just because he has more lines in this episode than he normally does, or you're, but you're right that uh, the uh, Southern accent was much more pronounced, it seemed, in this episode. Right. And for me, I owe it to him being more relaxed with Mabel, and uh-huh. that this is probably how he sounds when he's amongst his friends and sure. family. Sure. Yeah. Yep. That, then that absolutely makes sense. Right. As opposed to Christian Kane just losing hold on his <laughs> accent, which I don't think is the case. Right. No, I, I, I seriously doubt that's it. But yeah, yeah. Just that he, when he, I guess when I really noticed it was when he was talking about his family, right? Was sure. that, that, that's the scene that it really struck me. Uh, his accent was more pronounced. So yeah, it could be just, he kind of just falls into that mode, you know, like all of a sudden he's, um, thinking about his family, thinking about back home. And so with it comes the, the stronger, uh, more pronounced accent. Yeah. And I think it has everything to do with Mabel and not just the fact that they're clearly attracted to each other. I, I do think it just, he feels comfortable with her and he feels able to open himself up in a way that he can't with his teammates at this point. Maybe eventually right. he will be able to open up to Cassandra to Eve to Jenkins, probably not Ezekiel. It's too much risk there. (laughs) Right. All right. So they get there and they find Cassie Jones and Jenkins examining the pole. Cassandra can't believe stone brought her. Yeah. Since she's not a librarian. Yeah. Again, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, 
the, the slight jealousy, but but again, like like you said before, I don't think it's any kind of romantic jealousy, but yeah, certainly. You know, Cassandra is the one who is kind of bothered by Mabel's presence the most. Right. But when they touch the pole, you know, we see more sparks and we see Eve materialize briefly, which then puts into play, okay, well, maybe it's not aliens. Maybe it's like a pocket or parallel dimension that she somehow ended up in. And then, well, okay, maybe that's magic. Except we've got all the electricity in play, so again, it's just it's just wonderful the way they're weaving this story. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it's science or magic. Sure. Well, except if it's science, then do locks not going to show up trying to kill people? And stuff. Well, you wonder. <laughs> you what? Because do locks all about how can I wield this power? Sure. The fact that it's science related, well, that's okay with me. I'm good with science. Right. Well, Mabel is at this point sincere about knowing what's going on, or so it would seem. Uh, Obviously, she knows a lot more about what's going on than they do. We learned that Eve has been caught in some kind of energy discharge, and Ezekiel's given Jenkins tweaked goggles to go look for Eve while Stone says he'll go to the archive to research the lamps. Yeah, right. Research something. No. (laughs) It is that. Cassandra doesn't look like she buys it either, but I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier, that she's so goal-oriented that his flirting, which is what she thinks he's going to do, and maybe that's not what she thinks he's only going to do, but regardless, it's going to slow him down. Yeah, well, again, she's the one who comments on you know how Jacob's obviously volunteering you know quickly to to go back and talk to the archivist you know, she's the one who really know, makes note of that right so maybe there is some kind of romantic jealousy there you know right well out in the field jones can see eve who goes through that signal sequence that you mentioned before and at the end of all of that it's like cassandra go that way jones go this way it is all she was trying to do but what I found fascinating is that when they finally realize that Eve wants them to split up, she says, good plan. I can take care of myself. And, right. jo- and Jones says, are you implying I can't? She shoots back. No, Baird is. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, we've seen how much Cassie's character has grown through this show like now she is really independent yeah and we're not even halfway done with her independence in this episode yet right so we see mabel hide one of the folders from stone well you know she wasn't careful enough he hears the glass clinking and he deduces that the lamps were here first and the town was built around them and then she tells him if he promises to help she'll tell him everything and that's when he mentions what, what you said that, well, I promised to do the right thing. Right. So, yeah, it's just basically saying, I'm not going to write you a blank check. I'm not going to do whatever you want me to do just because you bat your eyes at me, but I'm willing to listen. Right. Right. So Eve has led Jones back to town so that he can see what she knows is going on, which is all the body jumping and the body possessing that this original, I think it was 87 people 
have been doing to townspeople so that they can experience life. Mm-hmm. So it's it's on the one hand, you could argue that what they're doing is innocent enough. On the other hand, as Jones says later, who gave you the right to do that? Sure. And and uh for it seems strange to hear the voice of moral authority coming from Ezekiel Jones, but he's got a good point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like these are actual people who you're taking over their bodies. They lose that time. So, you know, how is that right? Yeah. Right. And the, the other, you know, we talked about Cassandra. So she's figured out in parallel with stone figuring out the same thing that this original town was built by Nikola Tesla and when Victor realizes what it is she's saying, he wants to stop her from doing what she's doing. So she whacks him with a huge wrench, which, okay, it's the librarians. In reality, I think we'd have some blood in this scene. Yeah, yeah. That that seems like that would leave a mark. Yeah. <laughs> I Actually, I was thinking the same. I think I watched it. Oh, that's going to leave a mark. Yeah. <laughs> But we see a much more self-assured Cassandra. And I mentioned last time, are we going to see her recognizing that if she needs to use physical force, she can use her mind to overcome any physical any physical deficiencies she has because of her size? Sure. So, But, and, you know, she's also kind of not too shabby handling herself on a physical level. Well, no, and we didn't see her doing any calculations. She just picked up the wrench and whacked them. Right. (laughs) So, all right. So Jones finds Stone and Mabel, uh, just as Stone's about to state the Tesla reveal. (laughs) Cassie beats him to it. But she suspects Mabel, but using the goggles, Jones can tell that, you know, she's not been snatched. He knows she's not one of them. Of course, he's not entirely correct, but again, interesting that she certainly suspects Mabel and she would be right, but sure. Turns out that like Stone well, you know, Mabel is part of it. It's just it's not as nefarious as it seems. Right, right, exactly. All right, so the Ezekiel Jones transformation continues they all meet in a local bar mabel explains what's really going on about the tesla experiment in 1915 with wireless transmission of electricity which i believe is a real thing you know in fact you'll probably live to see it hopefully i'll live to see it but uh because you figure look if they can do wireless transmission of the internet and why not electricity yeah i don't know of course with my lack of a science background somebody might be saying are you an idiot? <laughs> All right. Well, well, yeah, it, I mean, it's a, it's a thing. Right. All right. So 87 townspeople became trapped in this interdimensional world when there was a, a problem with Tesla's experiment. Only Mabel was anchored by Tesla. So she's the only one that can experience the real world. She hasn't aged in a hundred years. The explanation is that the only way for the 87 to experience life is to briefly, and they claim, oh, it's only for an hour or two at a time, you know, that whole body jumping. But that sets Jones off on that rant about the morality of what it is they're doing. And then he, he even mentions that he's come to terms with his own stealing lifestyle. 
Well, and I think that's that's it. That's the key there. Why he is so adamant about this is he's a thief, and he's I, I know stealing. You're stealing. You know, it's like this isn't borrow. You know, you can couch it whatever terms you want to kind of justify it, but what you're doing is is you're taking from these people. Yeah. Now I don't know if you noticed or not, but the whole time Jones is stating how he feels about it, Jenkins is just sitting on the sideline quietly appearing, I felt dubious about Mabel's intentions because, again, he's seen so much more. I mean, how many times has he seen a good actor? Sure. Fooling a librarian. I'm sure he's seen Flynn Carson sweet-talked by any of a number of beautiful women. Yes. So it happened in each of the movies, right? Right. Or is he sitting by... I can't believe this is Ezekiel Jones. Yeah, I kind of thought, I like that last thing you said there because I I kind of thought that he was kind of like was a little proud of Ezekiel. You know, like kind of especially like they had their moment uh, last episode, and uh, I think that he's maybe like saying, "Hey, this kid's really starting to come around." So I guess on the one hand, you could argue that at the core. The town's intentions are good. They just want to get back to reality. We don't, you know, we could argue the morality and ethics of the body jumping, but we'll we'll let that go. So they just simply want to return. So we learned that Tesla had built a capacitor that's been charging for a hundred years. They finally think it's time. I think they work out. They've got a 50-50 chance of you know using this capacitor to return so that's what the rest of the episode revolves around and i again find it fascinating how each character views the situation as they decide whether or not to help i mean stone says they're people and they're trapped this compassionate angle right yep jones well they're only asking for help because they got caught yeah Okay. Kind and of ironic see, coming yeah, from him. Yeah, see why he would think that, yeah. Cassandra, well, they're asking for help now. Forgiving. Yeah. Right? She. That's all she wanted from Stone was to be forgiven. I, I know sure. I did a wrong thing, but in Jenkins, it's the only choice, the only way to rescue Colonel Baird. Pragmatic. Right. Pragmatic, yes. So they're all coming from different angles, and... Again, that this whole idea of team has been something we've witnessed from episode one. And you know that at the end, it's going to be Jenkins and his idea that's going to really focus the team because this is Eve Baird. But on the other hand, if it doesn't work, it could kill thousands. And right. I think Jones is the one that says, look, Colonel Baird would be the first one to say, no, it's not worth the risk. And he's right. And he is right. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately he comes on board because the team has right, sure. like, and which is again it speaks to his development as a character that you know that he is now completely part of this team, and that even though he disagrees strongly with their course of action, he still is going to be on board for it because that's what the team's going to do. Right, and I really love the fact that they did not have his character say something like, well, just let it be known that I disagree with this decision. No, like you said, we know he doesn't agree. The team made a decision. I'm with the team. Yep. So Cassandra takes charge. Again, she's assertive and commanding. 
figuring out how the science end of this project is going to work while Stone and Mabel work on their end where I guess they're going to flip that switch. And that's when he learns she never left town and consequently never traveled because she couldn't. She was bound by the lamps. Yeah, and then she's got that piece of metal sticking out of the back of her neck. That was weird. Oh, yeah, but then what she says to Stone, what's your excuse? Yeah. Now, I suppose we're chipping away at what's led Stone to drop out of the mainstream and lead the life that he has. Of, of course, as you, you alluded to earlier, he stayed to run the family oil business when his father became a drunk. Friends never left town. He never left town. Of course, they probably didn't have anything to offer the way he had with his education and his intellect. Uh, and just like Mabel, you know, like he gave up on his kind of like dream, not gave up, but like kind of uh, sacrifice maybe, like the, what he wants to do, what he dreamed of doing to do what he was obliged to do. And I know I end up disappointed, but at this point in the episode, okay, I'm now officially shipping Stone and Mabel. <laughs> you weren't before? Well, I was, but at this yeah. point. It, it, well, this is where they kiss, right? Is this where they kiss? Yeah, I can't remember. But at, at this point, though, is when I'm thinking, has Stone also been reluctant to take risks in his love life as well? And, and I mean, look, obviously we haven't seen a bunch of shipping stuff in the librarians, and I'm happy as a clam that that's been the case. But it also speaks to his character, and I'm sure I have the Caniacs on board with this. <laughs> Jacob Stone's a good-looking guy. He is good-looking. And I find it hard to believe he hasn't dated women before, and... You know, has he been reluctant? Has he just had a series of, you know, quick, short relationships because he doesn't want to take a risk? But, you know, there is that. There's also this whole thing about that that Jacob is, you know, like he throws himself into things, right? True. And so we know that, you know, he spent a lot of time, like, writing because he's got a number of pen names that he has published uh, different things about uh, or under. And uh, also he's run his family business. So honestly, it could pretty much be he's never really had a moment to pause and consider any kind of romance with anyone. Which I think makes his role now as a team member on the librarians so wonderful because it's just filled with romance. And I don't necessarily mean – you know, romantic, like, big, like, like with big R romance. Yeah, exactly. Well, for the second week in a row, Cassandra holds the lives of thousands of people in her hands. This time, however, she's not evil Cassandra, but at the end of the day, it's her call. Yeah. And again, more of this, what we call these, you know, these morally ambiguous judgment calls that, that you have to make. It's, you know, she's faced with an impossible decision. Right. Right. Um, let this experiment go on and potentially have the whole town blow up and kill thousands of innocent people or cut the power and have these poor people who are innocent themselves be trapped possibly forever. Right. And we learn that the odds are 50 50. Victor says he'll take the risk. Cassandra says she won't. 
at which point Victor smashes the device so she can't shut it down, locks her in there, but rises to the occasion under pressure, figures out what needs to be done, and she sends that Morse code again. <laughs> so through a mosquito tone. Which only young people can hear. <laughs> but that whole, and I get when he says that, Victor, that is, we deserve to live. Well, okay, I get that. But what, the others don't? But it's like Norman now, right? Though, sure. The, the name of the character or whatever. You know, like, just, I'm sorry, just take a brief side note. Like, it really bothered me how when that guy was in, like, Norman mode, he walked around with, like, one hand in front of him and one hand behind him, like, the whole time. Like, dude, I get it. You're a different character now. Um, find something else, because that is not normal. I don't remember, I don't remember that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. If you go back and check it out, like, when he's the the Norman guy, he's he he walks around with, like, like Napoleon or something. Like, ah, okay. You know, one arm in front of him and one arm behind him. Like, even when they're like walking, like, like down, there's like a long shot they show. And they're like going down the staircase and he's going down the staircase like that too. It's like, dude, you probably would take one hand off to like put your hand on the handrail or something. So come on, I get it. Okay. Well, they free Cassandra, the rest of the team that is, and she tells him we need to shut it down the energy will safely dissipate, but that means Eve will remain trapped. And it also means that Mabel will remain trapped. Right. And that's when Jones mentions, well, that's the call Eve would make. And and we all know that to be true. That doesn't make Cassandra's decision any easier. Mabel then tells them she can shut it down from the roof, but the electrified fence keeps them out. So we got that scene again. She goes through holding Stone's hand as a ground, both willing to risk their lives. And you get why she's doing it. I'm surprised that he's doing it. Well, he's still on the doing the right thing. Okay. Thing, you know. Yeah. And I guess you could argue that by making that decision, Jacob Stone has come so far from where he was. That yeah. not not that he wouldn't do things for other people. He sacrificed his life to take over the family business, as we mentioned. But sure, this takes it to another level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and also part of it is kind of like I'm not going to let you go through this on your own, you know, type thing. And which she wouldn't have been able to, right? He had to like actually, literally, physically carry her. You know, it's part of more like of this you know, kind of team mentality of his. Well, right. You know, and as I, well as romantic as well. You know, well obviously. And, it, and it would be easy to just look at it from that perspective, but also by doing this, by sacrificing himself, possibly, he's saving Eve as well. Sure. And on the other hand, then not forcing Jones or Jenkins to do what he's doing so that they don't have to do that as well. So it's, again, it's just a supremely heroic act on his part, of course. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Mabel throws the switch, dies in Stone's arms, but the kicker is Jones thinks it's working, but Cassie isn't so sure and has got to make another big decision. Jones, of course, takes it really hard, surprisingly. Eve's now back knows what a difficult decision it was 
And I love her assessment. Sometimes you just lose. Sometimes you just lose, right? And well, uh, I'm sorry. I just like before that, just taking a step back for a second. How awesome was that? That she like got into Jones's body, and then he just like kicked the crap out of those guys. Yeah, of course. And and, <laughs> and you know, obviously, you and I have used sports metaphors a lot in the course of this podcast. And have cer- we? Yeah, and certainly the idea that we've both uh, got extensive coaching backgrounds. But that line that Eve says, sometimes you just lose. And I mean, it's certainly something that you and I have both said more times than we wish we had to, but it's just as true. And then you have to ask, well, did they really lose? Well, in a way that this is like the first time that the goal that they had set out to accomplish did not get accomplished. You know, they wanted okay. to save the the people of the town and they weren't able to. Okay. But they didn't die. You know what I mean? It, it's as we find out, they're still there alive in that parallel dimension. Sure. And as we find out in the episode debrief that we'll try again, it's just going to take a while. Right. Right. Now, the other thing that, that I noticed was both Jones and Cassie walk out seemingly angry and wondering at whom, or are they simply angry at what you were just saying, is that it's the first time they've really not accomplished what they set out to. Yeah, I think that's, I don't think they're mad at Eve or at any one person. I think they're just frustrated that they weren't able to save the people of the town. Well, not right. save, but you know, bring them back. All right, so we get to the debrief. Jenkins gives Eve the librarian's appointment book so she can schedule 100 years into the future, give the town another chance once the new capacitor has taken on a full charge. And she's like, ah, so future librarians will know there's an appointment to keep. I love it. Yep. So everybody's feeling kind of down. Jones and Cassandra ask Stone if he wants to grab a drink, but tells them he's got somewhere to be. Wow. I mean, you know, every once in a while, the librarians throws in just really an emotional scene. And I, uh-huh. I, I thought that was really just so well done. Yeah, 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 for sure. Holding Mabel's Paris postcards. He goes through the annex door. So I guess now he knows how to program the door. Right. <laughs> Something well, all you have to do is turn the globe. It's not that tough. Well, yeah, but how does how do you know where? Do you have to like point to well, Paris? You, or I, 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 I don't know. but he goes through the annex door into Paris and I'm thinking, all right, did she jump into his body? Is he allowing her to experience Paris through him? And then will she just jump out when he gets back? Right. Because they can still body jump. Yeah. I I don't think it's, it's, I'm not sure exactly what happened to Mabel. Like, did she actually die, you know, or is she just, uh, yeah, because she was different, right? She, she was still in her own body. So it's just, it's not, I, I, I guess the, the assumption is that she has died. Well, that's what uh, I felt. But yeah, that, but then sure. I started thinking like, well, whoa, that would be pretty cool. On the other hand, is it simply significant that he's doing this alone? That as she said, what's your excuse for not doing things? Right. And, and also kind of like, yeah, as a, Almost a you know homage to Mabel 
and in honor of her to to go to these places and see these things that she wanted to see so badly but never had a chance to. Right. And if that scene was filmed, you'd probably see him talking to her through the postcards. Something like that. Sure. So All right, I'm I'm going A minus now. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm torn between the the B plus A minus. So I'm in like the basically the same range as as you here. Well, why don't we I, go? I, I think just because the and not that I, I shouldn't grade it down because, but you know, it's like kind of like a downer ending, you know. Like, but uh, also I think like all the the heavy science explanation. Uh, not that it confused me, but I think it just you know. Wasn't like, necessary. I, yeah, I, I don't necessarily like when Doctor Who does it. When like you just have to go along with okay, whatever. You know, I, I get that there's a problem, and that you need to solve it. So j- just go ahead and solve it. You know, like uh, and don't worry about the convoluted science fiction explanations for it. Yeah. So uh, all right, why don't we do this? I'll, I'll just give it. You give eight, the A eight. minus. I'll give it the B plus, and okay. it's a solid. Solid 89%. There you go. And no extra credit. Yeah, right. Uh, It won't be long before we'll be uttering those words. Oh, man. All right. (laughs) Anything else? Um, No. I think think we're good. All right. Another fun one? Yeah. Always. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots we watched previously or anything about the librarians. Anything you think we should be watching, leverage. Uh, We'd also like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to scifitvrewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss Season 1, Episode 7, The Librarians and the Rule of Three. But until then... See, Dave, I don't know if you knew, like, before my career, I was kind of in advertising, actually, but... Uh, it didn't really last very long because I g- actually got the Viagra campaign, and this is what I came up with, and this is why maybe I, I, I was fired. So my what I thought would be a good line is, you spend time with people who don't do something, you start feeling like you can't do it. <laughs>